Well, God bless you, everybody, and he does, even in this uh, very difficult and uh, uncertain day. The Lord continues to lead us. It's the way he is. He's the good shepherd, and the good shepherd who has invested so much in redeeming us has not brought us to this point so as to abandon us in the desert. We're trying to follow his lead moment by moment as the situation before us changes, And we feel led by him to depart from our normal fare tonight. We've been in the book of Judges, and Lord willing, we'll get back to it eventually. But tonight, we wanted to chat with you about a subject that seems like, well, it's just not getting enough attention. Uh, Perhaps you haven't heard of this. It's something called the coronavirus. And we wanted to chat with you about that topic uh, tonight and do so in maybe a little bit of a different way We wanted to talk to you about what's good about the coronavirus. We're talking about how it has disrupted our lives and that of, well, literally the international community. But if we believe in the sovereignty and goodness of God, I bet if we pause and consider the ramifications of the coronavirus, we'll find out there there are good things about it. For instance, have you thought about this? The coronavirus is an opportunity for the exercise of what I like to call sanctified common sense. We're all asking questions about how to conduct ourselves, who to meet with or not, uh, where to eat or not, what to do or not. And so this is a great opportunity for us to practice the discipline of sanctified common sense. I have a good example of this for you. Uh, It has to do with this man. I'll bet you've heard of him. His name is Martin Luther, great theologian, and in the 1500s, a terrible plague called the bubonic plague befell the land in which Martin Luther resided. It was in Wittenberg, Germany. It was in 1527. Because this is a man, Martin, of such brilliance and wisdom and godliness, people sought his counsel with regard to how they should respond to the bubonic plague. We have his words recorded for this very day. Here's what Martin Luther said about all that. He said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Think about it. In saying what he did, he is implying his awareness of the sovereignty of God. He knows even greater than in that day the bubonic plague was the creator of the universe And therefore, Martin said, this is my response to the plague. This is how I will begin. I'll ask God mercifully to protect us. I hope you're doing this. We as a church community must. We must say to the God of all grace and mercy, please have mercy on us. Please take this terrible blight, this virus from us. Uh, Please rid the world community of this particular virus. So Martin Luther started with the sovereignty of God, but he didn't stop there. He didn't let the sovereignty of God remove from him uh, something called human responsibility or sanctified common sense. So Martin Luther, in giving his advice, went on to say, then, after praying to sovereign God for mercy, then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my 
negligence. Folks, that is sanctified common sense. What a wonderful balance between an awareness of divine sovereignty coupled with human responsibility. I hope you're practicing sanctified common sense. Uh, The leaders of your church are trying to do so, and that's why we have thought it best uh, not to meet together in this environment, but to meet this way in your homes for a while. And so this Sunday, March 22nd, and the following, March 29th, and then even the one after, April 5th, we'll not be meeting here. We'll be meeting in your homes as we're doing now. We'll do that on Sundays and on the corresponding Wednesdays, and we will evaluate week by week as we see things unfold. It doesn't mean we're canceling services. We're just relocating them. And we're going to meet together because the Lord Jesus Christ is pleased by it. So this is one good thing coming from the coronavirus. It's an opportunity to practice sanctified common sense. Here's something else I was thinking of this. It's an opportunity to engage in better, how about this for a real spiritual profound point, better uh, personal hygiene like the washing of one's hands. And in case you're Unaware of how to do it properly? Look at that, folks. These are all the steps in washing your hands. You have come to the right place, I'll tell you. If you tune into this channel next week, we will tell you how to brush your teeth. For tonight, let's talk about the washing of hands because that seems to be the uniform and consistent counsel of all the medical experts around the world. But did you know, in Western culture, the... Habitual practice of washing hands is relatively modern. In fact, it came about only in the last 150 years. Here's how it happened. Um, There was a Hungarian physician named Semmelweis who, while serving in a hospital in Budapest, noticed a high death rate on the part of women in the process of birthing their children. He saw a connection to it. Doctors delivering babies did not wash their hands before so doing. And so when he instructed them to wash their hands, the death rate amongst these birthing mothers went down enormously. You see, the doctors uh, unintentionally were communicating viruses and infections. And that was all drastically reduced through the simple practice of washing hands. You see, they did not understand what we know today to be the reality of the microscopic world. They had no notion of bacteria or viruses and the infections they could produce. But isn't this wonderful? Almighty God knew about it even before the microscope was invented. And as a result, he instructed ancient Israel to wash their hands. Listen to this. Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 and on, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall also make a laver of bronze with its base of bronze for washing. And you shall put it between the tent of meaning and the altar and you shall put water in it. Aaron and his sons shall, here we go, wash their hands. Not only that, also their feet. Uh, When they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die or when they approach the altar to minister, by offering up in smoke a fire sacrifice to the Lord. So they shall, it's repeated, wash their hands and their feet so that they will not die. And it shall be a perpetual statute for them 
for Aaron and his descendants throughout their generations. Now, though we know you can, in fact, die from poor personal hygiene, when God said here in the text in Exodus that they would die if they didn't wash, I think he means more than just the washing of one's hands externally. I think he was speaking metaphorically, not about unclean hands, but about sinful and unclean hearts. And this is actually borne out by other passages of Scripture. Look at this one, Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who can access him? Who could have communion with him? Who may stand in his holy place? Look at this. The one who has clean hands, but that's not enough, and a pure heart. So you see, the clean hands, that's just a metaphorical kind of a symbol of what God really wants from us, not just external cleansing, but cleansing of our sinful hearts. And so that's given to us in an Old Testament passage. And now, just to show you, this is a consistent biblical truth. Look at this New Testament passage, James 4, 8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Look at this. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What an opportunity is given to us by the coronavirus. Every time we stoop to wash our hands, and I hope you're doing it often through the day as we are instructed to do. I hope every time you do that, it's an opportunity to say, oh God, I want to lift up holy and clean hands to you. What an opportunity we have to be singularly devoted to the Lord and not double-minded people, a little bit forgot on Sunday, and then we forget about them the rest of the week. Oh, no, no. What an opportunity to make a recommitment to the fullness of our devotion to the Lord. Here's another opportunity, in my opinion, given to us by the coronavirus. It's an opportunity for us to be ready for the coming of the Lord. I've been asked by a lot of people, perhaps you have as well, is this the big one? Is this coronavirus, uh, is, this the, is this the end of things? Should we just pack it in? Is this the fullness of the outpouring of God's wrath on, a, on an admittedly sinful world? Uh, just one person here, I don't think it is. And the reason I say that is that other things still yet have to happen before we see the fullness of the outpouring of God's wrath is given to us in the book of Revelation. Antichrist has to do more, not the least of which usher in the reconstruction of the temple in Jerusalem. We're not there yet. On the other hand, though I don't think this coronavirus is uh, the, the big one, the full indication of the outpouring of God's wrath, nonetheless, Luke has something to tell us about it, and it's this. When these things, what things? Well, the Lord was speaking to his followers 2,000 years ago about certain things to come. When these things begin to take place, what did he tell them to do? Stand up and lift up your heads because your, your redemption is drawing near. Though I don't think the coronavirus is an indication of the final outpouring of God's wrath on a sinful world, I surely do think it's probably the birth pangs thereof. And I don't want to discourage you, but I think uh, what we're going to see in the days ahead will be calamity like this. I think of increasing severity 
again, the beginning of things to come. And what an opportunity for us not to cave in in fear. On the other hand, oh no, lift up your heads. Why? Because your redemption is drawing near. What an opportunity the coronavirus is giving to us to make sure we're ready for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's something else. The virus is an opportunity for us to be put in our place. I mean, here's what I mean. You and I have an insatiable appetite to be the masters of our own destiny. Admit it. We really would like to admit it. Dethrone God and insert ourselves on the throne of our own hearts. There's something in us that leads us to so do. And this virus is an opportunity to re Deuce us to our proper place. I'll tell you what I mean. Here is a verse you are well familiar with. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created all the rest. The heavens and the earth. From that simple verse, two insights could be gleaned. Here's the first. The creation order is not to be worshipped. No, no, no. The creator is because he preceded the creation order. In the beginning, before time, God created the heavens and the earth. Therefore, we don't bow before the atmospheric conditions, the moon and the stars. We don't bow before even worldwide viruses like the coronavirus. No, 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 no. We bow before we focus on we center on, we worship the creator, not any element in creation. Second insight from this verse is there is a God, and I am not he, and neither are you. Therefore, I want to be put, I need to be put in my proper place, so do you. For instance, folks, look how fragile the virus has persuaded us is the global economic system. Good night. Uh, everybody's stock portfolio is taking a hit. The whole world community has been brought to its knees in light of the fragility of the economic system. What a foretaste of that future day described in the book of Revelation when the entire global system will come to a screeching halt because, as it says in Revelation, Babylon, the world system, is fallen. I don't like what's happening to us, but I, I need to learn from it, so do you, uh, to be in my proper place. I'm the creature, not the creator. I'm not in control, but he is, therefore he is to be worshipped. Don't you find it in interesting that a very tiny virus, smaller than a micrometer, what even, I don't even know what that is, but I think it's real small. Don't you think it's amazing that that little tiny thing we can't even see has brought the whole world community to its economic need, needs. I'm not happy about it, but it's a little exciting because our God reigns. Wall Street doesn't. Uh, my good intentions don't. Our government, which I think is doing a very appropriate job in responding to the virus. Um, I don't want to put undue faith in the government. No, no, no. Uh, we're all fragile. All of our systems, all of our organizations, it's foolish for me to be on the throne of my life. Jesus needs to be put there. That's his rightful place. David thought about the greatness of God, King David, in the ancient songbook of Israel when he wrote, when I consider 
David was a thoughtful person. As a deliberate act of the will, he thought about something. What was it? When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, David Shepherd had lots of time at night to be out in the pastures watching sheep. He would look up, you can imagine it, into the sky. And in that part of the world, it would be clear most of the time. And he would see all that God spoke into existence in the very power of his word. And David came to the conclusion after he evaluated the moon and the stars which God ordained, David came to this conclusion in the very next verse, Psalm 8, verse 4. What is man? When I think about the enormity and immensity of what you have spoken into existence, the heavens, the moon, and the stars, and all the rest, David came to this conclusion. It was a question. What is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? This is a wonderful mystery. How could this unbounded God who created the very universe which is inexplicable and so far beyond us, the very universe in which we're really just a speck, how could this great God, the transcendent deity, how could he be so concerned about us? For David, a survey of the solar system uh, produced in him a deep humility. I'm so small when I consider the bigness of what you have created. But David didn't stop there. Though the bigness of creation and his own smallness overwhelmed him, what he found even more overwhelming, and we should as well, is that this God who is behind magnificent creation order cares for you and I immensely. I hope you're letting this virus provide you, I hope I am too, with the opportunity of remembering Oh, God, you know me by name. You're concerned about me. I have a place in your mind and heart. You bought me with a price. You will not abandon me. And then this opportunity to see something good from the virus. It's an opportunity for us to rejoice in the resurrection. Uh, uh, death does not have the final word. The resurrection does. I've gone to Israel many times to this very place. Some of you have. I hope you get the chance, even before the Lord returns to go there. It's called the Garden Tomb. It's a, a tomb about uh, 2,000 years old, carved into that stone bedrock. I don't know if that's the tomb in which the Lord's crucified body was laid. I don't know, but I do know it's a tomb that existed in that day, and could be one like the one in which his body was laid, if not the very one. Many of us, many pilgrims, go to this place and celebrate its emptiness. It's an empty tomb. We weren't the first to go to this place. There were wonderful women who 2,000 years ago um, preceded us in visiting this place, an empty tomb. In fact, Matthew writes about it in Matthew 28, verse 5, the angels said to the women, do not be afraid. By the way, do you know this, uh, do not be afraid? That is the most oft-repeated command in the Bible. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid. It's as if God, the divine counselor, knows we are prone to be afraid, so he is regularly telling us, don't do it. Uh, what the verb tense actually is saying is, you, you, you cannot keep fear from, from, from entering in. But this is saying, you need to work on stopping an activity already begun. 
okay, fear and anxiety is uh, your experience, uh, but, but you can manage it. You can limit it. You can use it as an opportunity to pray to me about it. So the angel says to him, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. Folks, don't, don't move past those words too, too quickly. Those are absolutely marvelous words, eight words. Uh, uh, actually, that's the next verse I'll tell you about. <laughs> don't, uh, don't miss the significance of these words. Uh, Jesus has been crucified. But listen, if this is all we have, I'm not sure we have the gospel, the good news. See, if the cross is all we have, I'm not sure we have reason to hope. But we can be hopeful because we have more than the cross. We have the empty tomb, don't we? Hence, these eight words. I jumped the gun. Matthew 28, 6, look at this. He is not here, for he has risen. So our hope is based not just on the cross, but on the cross and the empty tomb. The empty tomb means death uh, does not have the final word. The empty tomb means not that death, that, that Jesus died. It means that death died. I don't want to be a prophet of doom or anything, but if the virus so afflicted a believer so that believer succumbed to it, we would weep as we ought to, but not as ones without hope because, because of the resurrection and we by faith connected to he who is the resurrection and the life. Good night. There's life after death, and so to be absent from the body is for sure to be present with the Lord. And so our hearts are filled with hope because that tomb was left empty. Now, finally, I think one good thing from this virus is this. It's an opportunity to miss being with each other at church. This is a little weird, folks. We're speaking, well, to a large empty room. <laughs> and imagining that you're, you're out there, maybe in your pajamas, I don't know. We don't want to imagine too much. Great to be together with you this way, but it's not ideal. It would be better to be in each other's company and face-to-face. -face. It would be better to shake each other's hands, to hug each other, and all the rest. We're not able to do that at this point. And one good thing from the experience is I miss you. Do, you. do you miss being at church? I do. We are the church, um, but coming to this church is, to me, I hope to you, even coming to be a more valued commodity. And so this passage, which I know of, but now is really hitting me, means more. Let us consider how to stimulate. That means stir up. Let's consider how to stir up one another to two things, love and good works. I'll tell you what's happening since we can't do that by being in each other's presence. You need to know that so many here in the church, your staff and others, are actually thinking, what could we do creatively to take advantage of the opportunities we have now, not just to sit around and get unduly nervous or fearful, but to do ministry? How can we how can we stir one another up to love and good works? This Sunday, let's get together again in this fashion. Brother Freeman Tomlin is going to really, really help us with the beautiful message of ongoing ministry. We don't stop 
just because of the coronavirus. And so we are to deliberately, as an act of the will, think about how we can stimulate or stir up one another to love and, and good works. It's really something to think about. And so in light of what Christ has done for us, this is what we are supposed to do regardless of the circumstance with reference to one another. And how, how, how can it really be primarily accomplished? Well, uh, by not forsaking our own assembling together. You want to hear a terrible thing? Even before the coronavirus, many people have made um, cyberspace the way they, they connect with other believers. Well, we, were real, we are really appreciating technology and that we could have this kind of time together, but, but that's not ideal. Don't see this as a substitute for our face-to-face -face, um, uh, coming to church together. Do you know just by coming to church, you are being an encouragement to the others who are there? And by coming to church, you are declaring to a watching world whose side you are on. So we are very grateful for the technology we have so that we can access one another this way. But uh, like you, I'm praying it would soon come to an end so that we could be back together. I'm not going to complain to the Lord anymore on Sunday morning. Oh, God, I don't want to get out of bed and I got to dress up and all the rest and I got to put up with some people I don't really like too much. No, I'm going to say, oh, God, thank you for the privilege of coming to Sagemont Church. Thank you for the privilege of our gathering and assembling together so that we can love one another and stir one another to good works. And notice what the text says. All the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? Well, you know, the day of the return of the Lord. I don't know when it is, neither do you. We have no dates. On the other hand, he's closer to coming back today for sure than he was yesterday. You know what this is saying? Appreciate your local church more than ever before and especially as you see signs of the Lord drawing near. I hope we are valuing our fellowship more than ever before. I hope we're looking forward to getting back together again. And so as we see times changing... In many cases, not necessarily for the good. Maybe what we're really seeing is signs of the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the writer is telling us so well this practice of assembling together. Well, it ought to be enhanced and increase as we see the day of our glorious Messiah drawing near. And in order to help us continue to be involved in and connected to one another and invested in our wonderful Sagemont Church, I want you to hear from some of our staff members about some very, very interesting, wonderful, and creative plans. And so the first to share with us important things is our own wonderful Wes Holloman. Thank you, Wes. Thank you so much, Stuart. Incredible lesson to, tonight as we heard just about getting together and really finding our community. Community is so very important here at Sagemont Church, and we are glad that you are part of our community. And I must say, Stuart, I'm very excited that I get to touch this screen right here. This is really, really cool. Uh, so the first thing I want to talk to you about is this, is that some of you have not been getting the emails and the updates that we've been sending out to you through Sagemont Church through our website. We wanna make sure that you get those. So we've made a very easy way for you to sign up right now. If you actually will t uh, text the word email to 832 900 
It's gonna lead you through a series of questions and we'll be able to update your email right from here. So you will be start, getting, start to get all of our emails that we're sending out through Chuck or different ways that we give out the information about our church, whether it be through the coronavirus and what we're doing here, but also our weekly activities and what's going on. We wanna make sure that we're keeping up with all of you. The second thing is this, is that people have been asking, how do I give? The, one of the ways is that when we come here to Sage My Church, we drop our offering in the offering receptacles available and they're like, they're not here right now, so how can I do that? We can't do that from home. Well, there are several ways that you can do that. First of all, you can actually text the word GIVE to 832-900-4333. That's a very easy way to do that. You'll sign up. It's a very simple process to do that. Make sure you can do that. Number two, you can uh, use the GIVE option on the Sagemont mobile app. I'm gonna show you how to do that in just one second. It is so easy and simple. And also you can give online at sagemontchurch.org backslash GIVE. The other thing is this, is that some of you have set up uh, like bill pay through your... um, your bank account, you can actually do bill pay and you can send a check directly here to Sagemont Church if that's easier for you and you, you don't want to deal with the technology. But I do want to show you how you can use the app. It's very easy. First of all, did you know we had an app here at Sagemont Church? I'm so glad I get to tell you this. You can actually download that at the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. It's very easy and it's really, really cool to have. There's so many great features, but one of those we want to show you is that you can actually give Right when you get to the, the page itself, when you download it, it will pull up right here. You can click that uh, little button right there and it will take you to actually how to give at Sage My Church. It is so easy. So we wanna make sure that we answer those two questions. How do we get the information? We, we showed you how to do that through the text. How do I get information? How do I give to Sage Mount Church? We've shown you how to do that. Now you're going, what are we doing here at Sage Mount Church to connect with everyone else? Not just here when we're talking about on the screens, but what are we doing tangibly as well? Well, I'm very excited to tell you that a lot of our iConnect ministries are doing really, really cool things to make sure that we are ministering to all of you and our community. For example, our student ministry every night will be giving out a small eight to 10 minute devotional led by our student ministry staff that they would love for you to uh, to join with them every night at 7.30. Make sure that your, your grandkids and your children know this and your students because it is incredible, I promise you. Another great thing that's happening is, is I'm back to introduce Amy Smith, our children's minister, come on up. Amy's uh, and her Adventureland team are doing some really, really cool things to make sure that our children and our parents are taken care of during the next couple of weeks as we deal with the coronavirus. Thank you, Wes. Good evening, church family. Well, first of all, we are praying for you. We know that your children are experiencing extended stay in their homes. And with the modifications of our church services and our children's programming, we want to offer a unique type of ministry uh, so that you can continue to keep your children engaged in God's word in a very tangible way. And so to continue offering you Sunday morning Bible lessons, we're doing something a little bit different, and it's going to be called Children's Ministry Drive-Through. And so you'll have an opportunity to swing by, and we are going to have a package for you, um, and that's going to consist of our Bible lessons from Sunday morning, as well as crafts and activities and coloring sheets and stickers and all kinds of things that you can do at home with your children so they can continue studying the the Word of God. And so um, we are going to be doing this. It's going to begin this Friday, 
we will be located in the north entrance of the children's building. So you can just drive by, swing by, and we will offer you these resources. And we want to wave at your kids and we want to wave at our parents and say hello and, and that we've missed you and offer you a smile. So we hope that you can come by. Again, that's going to be this Friday. And we'll continue to do this each Friday that we are modifying our services. We are going to be available from 11 to 1 o'clock, and then again from 4 to 6 o'clock. And so in addition to our children's ministry drive-through opportunity, I'm going to be sending out an email that will consist of this information, as well as other online resources and video content that you can share and facilitate with your children at home. So be looking for that. For more information on these things, you can visit sagemontchurch.org and um, just go to the children's page and we'll have some more information for you there. So to close this evening, I would like to share Psalm 50, 15 with you and it says this. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. You shall glorify me. Let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. O oh Lord, in our time of trouble, we do call upon you. Heavenly Father, we recognize that you are our peace, you are our protector, and you are our provider. And so, Lord, we place our trust in knowing that you are in control. And we rest in knowing that you will deliver us. Thank you, Lord, for knowing our greatest needs and for having our best interest. And we pray this in the holy and the precious name of Jesus. Amen.